Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we are in the third or so episode of a brand new series, which we're looking at Christianity 101. So what are those things that are fundamental and important to us as Christians? What do we believe in? So we've already looked at the important question of who is God and what is faith? So where are we heading today? So today we are looking at um, what has been known throughout centuries of the church as the creeds. Um, And we're going to be looking at the history of the creeds, where they come from, what they mean for us today. Um, And we're going to be looking at how we use these in worship, um, how they have been used, how they are used in worship today, because there are some people that are some traditions that are very much Oh, we're not creedal. We don't do the creeds. And yet they very much affirm what's stated in some of these creeds. So we're going to be focusing mostly on the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed as the two main ones in from church history. And we might also touch on Athanasius here a little bit later in the episode. Uh, to me, I'm glad that that our our series is flowing this way because in a way we ended the episode last time talking about faith as something that is both relational but also that there is a certain um Mm -hmm. you know for lack of a better word propositional nature but like once we start talking about who is this god that we say we believe in unless we start the conversation from scratch every time we talk about god there's going to be some stuff we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel on and that basically is how a creed functions it's well what did we say about who god was last time we asked the question let's start there and if there's ways that needs to be nuanced or other things emphasized fair enough but it's a it's a way of saying we don't have to keep doing this from scratch um and realizing maybe that, um, again, this, this is to me one of the dangers of only focusing on that notion of personal relationship with Jesus is sometimes we end up talking or thinking like nobody's ever believed in Jesus before me. We're like, no, generations, in fact, centuries and millennia of people have. They handed me the faith and what they handed me has shaped how I understand who, I, who, who this mm-hmm. God is that I believe in it's at least worth being honest and naming what did they teach me so that I, if I, there's points I want to disagree with or challenge or add to, at least we know, you know, where we're starting. So there, there are, there are basically ways that the church in the past has answered questions about how do we, what are, what are the things that we need to say about who God is that separates, say, God uh, of the scriptures from um Odin in Norse mythology or Ra and Osiris from Egypt or Jupiter from Roman mythology. And in a sense, that's, that's how the creeds kind of rose. Who is it that we're talking about here? Right. Exactly. Um, You know, the, the apostles creed often is related, you know, obviously back to the apostles that they write it. No, Um, but it's kind of just, it's old enough that we, we tend to think it goes back to the very, very early days of Christianity, but you know, the other creed, the other main creed that we talk about is the Nicene Creed, which comes from, remind me, is it third century? Early fourth century, like early 25. Okay. Yeah. You know, when, when the church is, okay, so the church has been around for a couple hundred years and they're really starting to try to figure out, okay, we have these books that have been passed down, these letters that have been passed down from, to us um, from the apostles, from the early church. What exactly does it mean 
to say that we believe in God, to say we believe in Jesus, to say we believe in the Holy Spirit, what does it mean to be yeah. a Christian? Like, what? How do we form this into a church yeah. and not just a ragtag group of people that are kind of sharing these letters throughout yeah. the known world at the time? I'm, I'm reminded of a conversation I had uh, in seminary where someone was, was talking about how the church needs to recapture the sense of being a movement, you know, like we were in the first century. And I, I get that, that we can get mm-hmm. kind of stodgy and institutional. But if you want to preserve anything to a second generation, some things are going to be handed down as like, well, this is what we did before. Here now you don't have to start all over again. That's, that was necessarily going to happen unless the church was going to go extinct as soon as the last apostle died. There were going to be have to be some things that we said, look, we've done some of the work for you. It's, it's almost like a sourdough starter. It's like, here, I've done this. Now you can keep making sourdough bread, but we've started this for you. And uh, in particular, like you say, Erica, the Apostles' Creed, I'm thinking we've got evidence that it goes back to the, the late second century. I mean, like that's solidly, mm-hmm. that's pretty old. And well, again, you're, you're right. It's probably not Simon Peter's, you know, saying, let, let me write down a sentence that everybody can believe in. Um, it, it is early enough that it's, it's, I think it's fair to say pretty early Christianity was at least affirming those things yeah. about God. And it's broadly Trinitarian. It's sort of broken into God, the creator, God in Jesus, God, the, the spirit. Um, and um, that it also sort of centers on kind of like we talked in our very first episode that you can't talk about who God is apart from the particularity of Jesus and the relationship of uh, the three persons, including the Holy Spirit, and the community gathered around that spirit, the the church, um, and that it was it was that initial like, all right, what are the things that we need to affirm as we teach people and they become a part of this community? We're not just going to make them memorize the whole New Testament; they didn't have that yet. But all right, what are the essential core things we all have to be? We want to make sure everybody's clear on. I mean, once once you start listing that. That's basically how a creed functions is what, what are the, what are the, what's the, what goes in our Christianity 101 podcast before you've invented podcasts. And the so, Apostles' so Creed. I'll oh, go ahead, Sarah. Sorry. When, when I teach um, the creed or creeds in confirmation class, um, I often start by having the class, especially if it's more than like two kids, um, to write their own creed. Mm-hmm. to write just write down what do I as an individual believe in and then I have them depending on how big of a group I have either break them into groups or just the whole class they have to then decide together what they believe in mm-hmm. and it's that community then aspect of well yes this is something we can all get behind and I encourage them to not limit it to just religion. Mm-hmm. But like in general, what do they believe in? Um, so, you know, there's always the one class clown that's all like, I believe in SpongeBob SquarePants. Right. And um, you have to go, okay, well, does everybody in your group believe that SpongeBob SquarePants actually exists <laughs> as, a fiction, like, as a non-fictional person? And the rest of the group will be like, no, <laughs> we do not. And so they have to like then decide together, what can we all agree on? Yeah. Yeah, it's the community thing, right? It's mm-hmm. not just what do I believe in my hearts of hearts, but 
as a community, what do we believe? Yeah, I think that's such an important piece you highlighted, both the communal sense and that creeds then are by definition not meant to be exhaustive, but kind of where are common places that we can all go mm-hmm. here we feel like we're on solid ground. Speculating too much beyond this, there be dragons. So like, you know, last time when uh, Erica made the bold statement of faith that you believe God is pro pineapple on pizza. One day in glory, we'll discover that. But I'm I'm convinced you're not willing to go out on the limb and say all Christians everywhere must believe that God is pro pineapple pizza. Uh, <laughs> okay, but you're wrong. But yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it doesn't belong in pizza. I'm saying I'm I'm not willing to say that the Christianity stands or falls on whether that is, turns out to be true or not. However, I would say that Christianity stands or falls on. Uh, is is jesus alive you know or is mm-hmm. it does god exist or that i mean th- there are some places where we broadly said these are things we can all affirm now even once we start getting into the well what do indiv- what do these individual sentences about faith mean we can start getting more arguments but at least here's a place to start that and that communal sense sarah that you mentioned i think is really really important especially in a culture like ours it can be so individualistic that it feels like our culture would be willing to do the first step of your exercise. I'll write down my creed, but I'm not going to make anybody else agree to it because it's mine. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Um, I'm only going to live by my own creed. And Christianity has insisted from the beginning that we're community together and that my relationship with God can never be just me and Jesus. It's always me and Jesus and everybody else whom Jesus loves, which includes other Christians and also has to make sense of a God who loves the whole world. And I think for me, that's why I really, really like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed is because way back when, the fourth or so century, that there were groups of Christians, like the count, like a council was able to be formed and these representatives of these dr- different communities were able to come together and agree on the creed granted this wasn't like an easy process like we hear stories about saint nicholas punching a guy while they were trying (laughs) to figure out these creeds but like so clearly there was a lot of friction Mm -hmm. but eventually they were able to come up with these things and say yes this is what the christian big c church believes yeah yeah and it's not just what the the church in you know, Athens believes, but this is what we all believe in. Right, right, right. And I think that that's, that's helpful too, as a, as a reason for why the stakes were so high, especially in the the story of what we now call the Nicene Creed, that it wasn't just a bunch of people navel gazing going, let's come up with a statement because we think we need to have a statement. But the live question was, this Jesus that we say we believe in, is Jesus just a created being or is Jesus as fully God as you can get and also fully human. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, in a sense, it's asking, is God willing to go all the way into humanity and to created life to bear all that it is to be human, even including death and breaking it out through the other side and resurrection? Or is God like, I'm going to send my vice president of human affairs because that's too messy for me. And that the early church realized Christianity falls mm-hmm. apart if there's a length God's not willing to go for us. That honestly, it's not good news if God says, I do anything for love, but I won't do that. I mean, like, that like honestly like if 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 that's where we're at if we were just that meatloaf song then then that's not good news that's there's there's a length god won't go for us and i think there's something really cool about thinking the early church understood that a 
partially baked Christianity of God kind of loves you, but at some point God will give up if it gets too hard. That's not good news. That's, you know, you're always going to be wondering, have I pushed God too far? Is God going to give up on me? And that the early church wrestled and fought with, we have to be able to say there's no lengths, even all the way to becoming fully human among us like this. This is the lengths God's willing to go for us. Um, that makes this good news. And I, I guess in, in a culture like that doesn't often recognize that that's what ancient Christianity understood it was about, where sometimes we turn Christianity into a particular political party's agenda or big inspirational self-help feelings or, you know, whatever other things people use uh, Christianity to mean that like it started with, how can we say there's no length God isn't willing to go to for the sake of humanity? That I'm, I'm glad that they were willing to fight tooth and nail on that and wouldn't settle for less in the end. It really interesting when you and like in my hymnal in the Methodist Church, we have them on opposite pages from one another, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. Yep. And when you look at the two, like you can see how the Nicene Creed is is very much an expansion on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is just getting out there the very minimum basics of the faith. You know, God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You know who Jesus is. He was born in Mary. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was dead. He was you know he rose from the dead. And then the Nicene Creed, just in the first few centuries of the church, they realized, okay, we need to, we need to really settle in on this. Yep. And we can't just keep going, you know, and letting this church say, you know, Jesus is this and this church say Jesus is that, or that God is this. And, but like, we need to settle on something. We need to create a Christianity 101 yeah. um, and say, this is what we believe, um, and it's just fascinating how much of like the Nicene Creed, those sections kind of begin like they do in the Apostles' Creed, but then expand all that yep. more because they thought it was important. Like you said, Steve, that God would go to whatever, you know, limits necessary to bring us back to himself. I think it's worth noting, too, that what we now call the Nicene Creed that has that longer piece about the Holy Spirit is also added in yet another church council in Constantinople. Mm -hmm. um, and that in, in fairness, historically, the original Nicene Creed ended with, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that was it. Like, and at some point someone was like, well, let's say a little bit more. And so like, just like we said in our very first episode that we kind of were giving the Holy Spirit short shrift for a while. Well, we come from a long line of Christians who give the Holy Spirit short shrift. I mean, in, in part, maybe because the the nature of the spirit some, somehow seems more elusive and penetrating everything and is less historically locatable than Jesus that we can locate in first century Palestine in you know this particular person who lived under you know in Pontius Pilate's time. But yeah, that there's a, there eventually comes to be that structure, that Trinitarian uh, Father, Son, Spirit kind of language in in the 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 creed uh, that that was affirmed. Um, it. It probably also is worth acknowledging then there's the ongoing question of are we done with creeds? Are there any new things that will need to be said about God or are we were we done in 325 or 381 AD at Constantinople? And different Christian traditions have answered that in different ways. There are modern Christian traditions and there's a whole spectrum like we've talked about that might officially say the content of the creed we all affirm but we won't recite it in church because we don't like the implications of that <laughs> and other traditions that are so in favor of creeds they keep writing them and we'll continue as there's new stuff to be said we'll put them in a, a book of affirmations of faith um, that are continuing ongoing and that newly ordained 
uh, leaders in those traditions need to affirm not just the ancient things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, but more modern statements as well about the nature of God. And then we got folks in between who are like, yeah, the Apostles' Creed is good for me uh, once or twice, uh, but nothing else and and, uh, other places in between. Maybe it's worth unpacking wh- why, why is it that we, we've ended up with modern Christianity that is all over the place about these statements that are originally meant to be universally um, uh, uh, appliable or universally acceptable statements, right? When they, when they wrote the Nicene Creed, they weren't thinking, well, only some people are going to like this, or like, finally, something we can all do. Um, and yet we've ended up with a variety of approaches to this. What, 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 do, what do we do with that? Well, I think to be fair, when they were first written, there were people and groups of people who disagreed with the creeds. Uh-huh. It's just that it, it quickly became that those who believed the creed and confessed the creeds, that became Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And heretical Christianity eventually slowly died off. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm thinking in particular, you know, St. Nicholas punched somebody and he ended up winning the argument mm-hmm. and it, Nicholas's viewpoint continued and survived in the Christian church right. and his opponent was labeled a heretic. Right. And um, so, yeah, not everybody agreed with the creeds. Right. Um, and yeah, it's just the creeds have now survived for close to 2000 years of Christianity, lifting this up as the Orthodox way. Mm-hmm. But even then, I would say that there are still groups who claim themselves to be Christian, who aren't going to necessarily claim the creeds, right? That's true. They might, yeah. they might agree with the creeds, everything in the creeds. They might not. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, th- th- I think that, that's such a good point that that there there was that lingering disagreement, and that it's in some ways just the fact that one side won out that we now call that orthodox. That that's that's a fair point. Um, and and that some traditions now seem skeptical of any of saying anything holds authority other than the Bible. And again, like you can you can sympathize with the there are ways that we get into danger if we add it's the Bible and then also what this Pope said and then also what this other person said. That can become fraught as well. So you can get why some traditions were like, we want to make sure it's nothing but the Bible, but that right. also can be kind of naive in that there, there are obviously things in the scriptures that um we tend to think of as more central or authoritative than others. Um, you know, Song of Solomon says our couch is green. Does that mean that the biblical position is the only kind of couch you can have is green? No, clearly that's not what it means to believe the Bible. Um, but the moment you've done some picking and choosing about what is it that's essential and what is it that is one verse in a, in a, in a poem, um, that's basically doing the work of what creeds do. Yeah, I, I know that my grandparents and spe- specifically they, they did not come from a creedal tradition. They were not Lutheran, but they were my godparents at my mm-hmm. baptism. And they had to have a big conversation with my pastor before the service about the creed and why it is that we confess the creed and why on earth do we confess that we believe in the Catholic church? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like, sometimes, sometimes we get hung up just on a single word, right? Right, right, exactly. Um, and, you know, as soon as my pastor explained, oh, this is little fee Catholic, this means Christian church, not 
big C Catholic as in Roman Catholic church, but like, then they were okay with it, but it took some educating because they were not from a tradition that looked at the creed or talked about the creed every Sunday. Sure. And for that matter, like almost any phrase in the creed can open up places for disagreement. Like, you know, we, we affirm in the creed, uh, I believe in the communion of saints and my understanding is that like there's a sense of we remain connected not only to other uh people who are followers of jesus around the world but also those who've died that we're not separated but still remain connected others immediately take communion of saints to therefore pray to saint anthony for this and saint jude for this and if you want to have your house sell take a statue of saint joseph and turn it upside down and bear it in your yard like that's a whole other direction that the cult of the saints went that is not part of my tradition and yet sometimes that's the immediate picture that comes to somebody's mind when they go oh yeah communion of saints it's who you pray to for which thing um and that to me seems like there be dragons there um so yeah we we got to realize there's there's that challenge as well when we talk about how useful or not useful the the creeds are and it's possible to say yeah we have this unity we all say these same things but if we end up meaning very different things about them very quickly that that unity can be kind of shallow and i think there's a lot of denominations now that don't use the creeds well like we said they might affirm what the creeds say they don't use the creeds because being protestant denominations um you know we're protestant by the fact that we're not catholic (laughs) right right and so the catholic you know the creeds are a catholic thing um though the catholic church in the creeds is not you know roman catholic church um at least not in my creed is not um and I think that might be why, like over the years, a lot of churches, you know, they've taken that Protestant Protestant stance and really just kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater right. and said, well, that's Catholic. We're not going to use that. Right. right and right. while still affirming everything that it says, or at least most everything that it says, right. but, you know, that's pushing a little too close, which is interesting considering, you know, you both are Lutherans and, you know, Luther was catholic left the catholic church and yet the creeds are still very much a part of your tradition right um, even more well, so than it is mine well and i'd say too like the the uh the reformed and presbyterian traditions like uh presbyterians calvinists uh reformed traditions that kind of thing that trace through zwingli and calvin um s- still have a very very strong place for confessions of faith like the ancient ones, as well as ongoing ones. So like in the Presbyterian, uh, you know, book of common order or whatever like that, you'll find not just the ancient creeds, but contemporary things like the Barman declaration that was uh, written to op- in opposition to the third Reich, you know, in, in, uh, in Hitler's time. And I think even you know, statements against apartheid in South Africa in the late 20th century, as like, there need to be ongoing statements mm-hmm. of here's how we took on this issue or this question. Um, and they're very much not Catholic, very much, you know, Protestant, and yet also continue to hold on. Some of it, some of it, I think, has to do with the, the roots of each of our traditions and the traditions yeah. that came out of that kind of very scholarly, the way you define a tradition is by the doctrines that it believes, you're going to bring that baggage along with it. Yeah, I think the closest the ELCA has to contemporary confessions of faith um, are the social statements. Right. The social statements are always very intentionally worded and phrased to allow space within our church community to have both sides of the argument, if you want to look at it as like a a dualistic kind of thing. 
but usually while lifting up a very specific thing. Like there was at one point a social statement on dancing because there was a big question within the Christian church of like, is dancing like okay? (laughs) And so the Lutheran church at the time, uh, which eventually became the ELCA said, yes, we do (laughs) that you can dance. Um, However, if you personally like find it very tempting, then maybe you should abstain, but in general, (laughs) dancing are okay. Um, You know, and like people don't really know that we had a social statement on dancing because at this point in church life, dancing is not a hot topic issue. Um, They are more likely to know about the 2009 social statement on sexuality. Right. There is a new social statement that I, I can't remember if it's been passed yet or not, or if we're still in conversation about it, about women and justice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so we kind of have that, but we're not quite ready to elevate those social statements to creeds, to yeah. expressions mm-hmm. of faith, because we try to recognize that you don't have to agree on this and still be part of this church community our church community is big enough to have multiple viewpoints but this is our official stance but if you don't agree you don't have to be kicked out i think that sort of oh go ahead erica it sounds a lot like our social principles we have a lot of the same kind of things Mm -hmm. um, that are part of our book of discipline which is our polity you know our our laws and rules and regulation again we won't make them creeds we have specific very specific things statements of faith and stuff that we claim is mm-hmm. kind of our if we had a catechism that would be part of it yeah <laughs> um but yeah we have something very similar plus a couple of like creeds like from the united church of canada and right. the korean methodist church that are lo- both more modern from like the 80s or whatever yeah um so slightly more modern. <laughs> It's, it seems to me like, here's the, the tension that like, if we decide we're only going to stick with ancient statements of faith, then we lose the opportunity to speak a word of clarity as much as possible about whatever ongoing questions. And there may be times where there's something we feel like we should all be able to be really clear on being anti-Nazi. So like, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm one of those Lutherans who's like, I'm glad that Christians back in the 20th century wrote a statement, the Barman Declaration, saying we can't oppose Hitler taking over the church. That's a place we can all say church stands or falls on supporting Nazism. Um, but you open that door too far, and now we're like, well, all right, every issue, and then what can we say about that we all agree on? And you're left with either things that don't really include everybody because we can't all agree, or statements that say nothing because they're so vacuous. And at that point, it just feels like noise. And maybe this mm-hmm. is the tension that all Christian groups have to live with is that universality versus particularity kind of question. Uh, Are there things that we are so clear on this one? We all decided we all have to be on the same page on and where are there places where we go, you know what, this isn't something we all have to agree on exactly. We can live with disagreement on the dancing question. um, As long as we're convinced Jesus is is risen from the dead or something like that, that kind of thing. Uh, Which again, to me says, it's interesting that like in the fourth century, the church is willing to go to the mat and say, we're willing to to 
have this fight over is Jesus fully God and fully human. They're willing to have that fight, even though it might seem like a picayune question today that they fought over down to the, you know, a, a letter and a syllable of a complicated Greek word about what's the right thing to say about Jesus. Um, but that they understood that was one that was worth fighting over and was worth you know, the, the division and the, the heartache that came out over that. And yet there we, we live in the tension today. If you try and say something too particular now, not everybody's going to agree. And what do you do with that? I guess in my mind, this also goes back to a, a, a challenge that we have to live with as church in that Jesus doesn't bequeath his followers a single pattern for how to make future decisions. Um, we might have wished for that. And to be honest, I think sometimes the Roman Catholic tradition invents that Jesus did give one and just said, Peter and his successor will decide things. Um, that doesn't seem to be how, how I read what actually happens in the gospels. And that meant the church had to figure out after the first generation, when new questions come up and we don't have a statement from Jesus on it, how do we decide things? And so even things like councils, like that have the Nicene Creed as a statement, was us figuring out, well, I guess we should all get together and talk it out. Like they figured, they invented that idea. We should all get together and talk it out. Other approaches have been, well, let's have somebody at the top of the, at the pyramid. We'll call them a Pope or a Bishop or an Archbishop and whatever they decree is going to be the answer. But like, these are all ways of addressing the authority question. How do we answer new questions that come along? Because at some point we've all got Bibles, but we are all coming to different answers. And how do we decide what are the things we all have to agree on? What are the things we can live with diver you know, diverse opinions on? And where are there places where it's just there's, there's boundaries and stay within these boundaries and you'll be okay. But for 2000 years, we've been trying to figure this out as we go along and different groups have tried different structures to answer those questions. So maybe for where we land today, um, as we talk about uh, how creeds function in a Christianity 101, it sounds like we're acknowledging not every Christian group everywhere will all affirm the words of or pattern of the Apostles' Creed or even the Nicene Creed, even though they're very ancient, but that those are the content of those is pretty ancient, pretty broad, and um, pretty widely accepted across the Christian tradition, that that's not a bad place to start a discussion mm -hmm. about who God is or who we are in light of that God. So rather than saying we've got to start from scratch and every generation has to invent their own, we should recognize these are part of the, the now historical baggage of what it is to be Christian, and we need to continue to engage them and ask what do they mean in our times, but we can't pretend that they aren't there. And if we do pretend they aren't there, we end up running the risk of just inventing new versions of creeds or having sort of shadow creeds without saying so. And that maybe it's worth at least being honest that they're there. Yeah. Well, then we hope you'll join us next time as we continue looking at other areas uh, of what it means to be a Christian or what the Christian faith is about in our Christianity 101 series here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Bye. Thank you.